0: I'm excited tonight to have the guest that we have. He's been with us all weekend long, and I I, I know, I'm absolutely convinced now it's going to be a great night because every service thus far has been just incredible, the impact it's made on our people uh, throughout all the different services, people left in tears and and truly moved and challenged to live a life bigger than themselves. He is one of the founding pastors of ARC. We're an ARC church, association of related churches. We plant life-giving churches across America. There are now over 600 ARC churches across America, and we were church to 229. That's kind of our ranking. They're like two or three. I don't know. They're somewhere way up in the top 10, uh, but just a great church that, that he planted 14 years ago in Fort Myers, Florida. But more than being a great Pastor, and he's a brilliant mind, just a great leader. A lot of people are, you know, in the arc world are predicting him to be the future John Maxwell, just because he just has this incredible leadership gift on his life. But more than all of that, he's a great father. He's a great father and a great husband. He's got a a dream that him and and his son kind of have a vision that they work on together to go to every baseball stadium in America and watch a professional baseball game, father and son traveling across America, and they only have four stadiums left to go. Uh, One of the stadiums is close by, but they never see October, so it really doesn't matter right now, Um, if you know what I'm talking about. A depressing fact for those. It's not depressing for me because I'm a Dodger fan. I could care less. But we're there. I mean, I don't know how far we're going to go right now, but we're there. We've got to break the, 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 the Cubs, which will be tough this year. But they're cursed, so we know we can do it. <laughs> Anyways, enough of sports, enough of baseball. Let's get into the message tonight. You're going to love this guy. I'm thrilled that he's with us, Pastor Matt Keller. Yeah. I forgot your book again. All right, before he speaks, let me, let me let you know, his brand new book came out last year, The Key to Everything, phenomenal book. They're available outside. And I would encourage you to buy two of them because as you read this, you're gonna think of a lot of people uh, who this could benefit. And you're gonna want an extra copy to be able to give away. And as always, if you cannot afford a book, Please take one. I've, I've already let him know that any books that are missing, our church is glad to pay for because I never want you to miss out an opportunity of investing into your life. It's a great book. He'll be teaching on it tonight, so I encourage you to pick up a copy afterwards. Awesome. Go for it.
1: Thanks, brother. Well, good evening, Coastline. Great to see you. It is great to be here. As Pastor Aaron mentioned, my name is Matt Keller, and I come from the other west coast of the United States, the southwest coast of Florida. I'm from Fort Myers, which is we call Southwest Florida, and you guys are like Southwest America, which is awesome. So it's great to be here. Uh, I, and let me just say, and I know you already know this, but let me just, just it needs to be said. Uh, You have incredible leaders in Pastor Aaron and Amanda and their entire team. These guys are awesome. Yes. They are the real deal. And I love what God is doing here at Coastline, and I love what God is doing uh, in all of you. And so it is a, a privilege and an honor to be here. And here's what I believe. I believe that there are many of you tonight who are listening who are at a crossroads moment in your life that in life there are seasons we all know this right that and when you move from one season to the next season we have to go, go through them through crossroad moments and some of you maybe are feeling that tonight that you find yourself in a crossroad moment of in your marriage or maybe you're at a crossroad moment in your career Maybe you're at a crossroad moment in a relationship or with your relationship with your kids or in your relationship with God. You feel like you're kind of in a crossroad moment. And here's the thing that I want us to understand tonight it is so important for us to pay attention in the crossroads because how we navigate the crossroad moments of our life will determine a lot of how successful, so to speak, we'll become in reaching our full potential in God in the next season of our life. So uh, as Pastor Aaron mentioned, I not only pastor a great church, Next Level Church in Fort Myers, Florida that my wife and I founded and planted 14 years ago, but I also have the privilege uh, to train and and work with leaders. And so we work with leaders inside the church world, but God in recent years has been opening so many doors in the corporate space and the business leadership space for us to to work and train uh, with leaders in that space. And so one of the organizations I work with is Chick-fil-A. Any Chick-fil-A fans out there? Come on, Chick-fil-A, Christian fast food. You wouldn't think we could, but we did. I love it. Only I don't love it on Sunday because they're not open. Come on, true confession tonight. How many of you have ever sat in a -A Chick-fil-A drive-thru on a Sunday? Anybody? And you're like, what is their problem? They're usually really good at customer service. right, one time, I've done it several times, but one time the lady actually came on and she's like, sir, it's Sunday and we're closed (sighs) Oh. <sighs> well, what are you doing here? No, I'm just kidding. So, anyway, I have the privilege of working with Chick-fil-A, and so they, they called me, and they wanted me to come and do some training for them in West Palm Beach, which is on the east coast of Florida, in spite of its name. And so, Fort Myers, where I live, is on the west coast. And so, from, from Fort Myers to West Palm Beach is about two and a half hours. And so, I've driven it dozens of times and living in Florida for 15 years. And so, uh, I called my friend Billy, who is an owner-operator of a Chick-fil-A in our area. He's on our board of directors for our church. And I called him. And I said, hey, man, you should come with me. So, he's like, great. So, he came over. He loves leadership, and so he came over at five o'clock, and we were going to drive over that night, spend the night, and then be in West Palm for the training in the morning, so Billy came over jumps in my car, we take off, and we get to this little bitty town in the middle of the state of Florida called Cluiston, and Cluiston is like the middle of nowhere, and so uh, we stop for dinner, and as we're getting out of the car, not at Chick-fil-A parenthetically, at a barbecue joint, but as we get out of the, the, the car to go into the restaurant, I say to Billy, oh, hey, by the way, remind me, I, well, I need to get gas before we leave Cluiston, you know, before we leave town so I can, we can make it. It's like, great, great. So we go in the restaurant, and we're just talking, you know, and doing the whole leadership thing, and he's asking questions, and the whole. Do. so we come out to the car we jump in and i turn on my gps i call her suzy google maps and so because i had an assistant who was really bossy and she tells me what to do and so that's what google maps does and i'm like oh it must be suzy so anyway so we jump in the car and we take off and, and from fort myers to west palm is all four-lane roads and again i've driven this dozens of times and so it's all four-lane roads and so she, I, we come out of clewiston i'm not paying any attention we're talking we're deep in conversation all of a sudden Susie tells me to turn and i notice we're not on a four-lane road anymore And so I, like, stop, and it's like a country road, like cows, like country road. And so I stop, and I, like, zoom out on the map, and what I realized was, oh, Google Maps has arbitrarily decided that the four-lane road goes up like this and then cuts over like this, but Google Maps has made an arbitrary decision that we can save, like, 93 seconds if we turn here and take a little two-lane road that kind of cuts the corner for 17 miles and goes like this. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm zooming out, but we're in deep in conversation, so I'm not even thinking about it, you know. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's what we're doing. We're cutting the corner, fine, whatever. So I hit the gas, and we take off. Well, like a mile later, all of a sudden, we come to this intersection, and I, there's these gigantic orange barricades that say road closed ahead except to local traffic. And, like, literally, there's nobody around. So I stop in the middle of the intersection. We're in this crossroads, and I look at Billy, and he looks at me, and I'm like... Road closed ahead, except a local truck. Well, we're local. I mean, we're not from New York City. Like, we're Floridians. Like, hello, how local do you need to be? And Billy looks at me, and he goes, Hey, man, this is all you, man. Do whatever. Make whatever decision you want. Okay, great. So I go around the barricades, and we take off because I'm cutting the corner, right? And so we're on this country road, and it's bumpy. And, like, we go for, like, eight more miles. And all of a sudden, we get to this point where I look up, and I can see two things. First of all, I can see where the four lane and the two lane are about to come together. We're, like, a half mile away. I can see the intersection. And the second thing I see as it's getting closer are these giant orange barricades that say road closed. And I don't know what kind of animal they are riding to make it through, called local traffic, but I'm just telling you in a car, you are not getting through there. I mean, it is barricaded off. And we stop. And it's only in this moment that I realize remember, we didn't get gas. I know. And so I look at Billy and he looks at me and he grabs his phone and he pulls up. And he's like, the nearest gas station is 17 miles that way back in Cluiston. And I look at my little distance to empty on my dashboard, you know, 14 miles. And Billy, no lie, looks at me. This is a good friend. He looks at me and he goes, dude, this is all you. This is all your fault. This is, I told you, man, this was all, and I'm like, hey. So I put the car in reverse, turn around, and we go flying because I figure if I got a coast for three miles, I better get up a pretty good head of speed here. So I go flying and we're just, because the only consolation in terms of retribution for my friend Billy is, he literally got car sick. When we pulled into the gas station, my man barfed in the bushes. And all the ladies are like, that's disgusting, why did he? share that all the men are like yeah serves him right yeah that's what friends do yeah anyway so the good news is we made it back to the gas station the bad news is what should have been a two and a half hour trip from fort myers to west palm beach ended up taking us almost four and a half hours and here's the point the point of the story is i should have paid better attention in the crossroad and i believe it's possible that there are many of us who are here tonight And you're at a crossroad moment in your life in some way. And God would say to you tonight, hey, pay attention. Pay attention in the crossroad because you're making strategic decisions. that are going to set you up for success or less than success in your next season. Now, here's the good news. The good news is you and I aren't the first people to ever walk through a crossroad moment. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes it very, very clear that there are story after story after story of so many leaders that God used in an amazing way who navigated crossroad moments like many of us feel like we're in tonight. So I want to draw our attention to a leader named Moses. And his story that we're going to look at tonight is found in Exodus chapter 18. Exodus 18. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone with a Bible app on it, turn with me or click with me to Exodus chapter 18. If you don't have any of those, don't worry. The verses are going to be on the screen here beside me. And while you're turning or clicking there, let me kind of give us a little background information. So essentially, God's people, the children of Israel in the Old Testament, have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then God sends a deliverer named Moses to go back, confront Pharaoh, 10 plagues, its craziness, and finally Pharaoh relents, and Moses goes, he parts, you know, God parts the Red Sea, he leads the children of Israel through on dry ground, the sea crashes in on the army of the Egyptians. Like, they could make movies of this stuff. Like, seriously, if you don't read the Bible, no, like, Charlton Heston could star in a movie about this stuff. I'm just telling you, it's it's that good. They get out on the other side. If Mel Gibson was directing the movie, Moses would raise his hands and say, Freedom, right? Would you not give every day? He would do that, but he didn't. Anyway, so Moses, they get out on the other side. So here's Moses, and he is trying his level-headed best to figure out how to lead this new people. Now that they've gotten on the other side of the Red Sea, and it's, does anybody else have the thing where it's, you never remember if it's the Red Sea or the Jordan River? Anybody else with the river? <laughs> I don't know, but it's the Red Sea. Okay, so they get out on the other side of the Red Sea. It's not a river. And so they get out on the other side of the Red Sea. And so Moses is doing his level-headed best to try and figure out how to navigate this and how to lead these people who have have been for 400 years literally been told where to go, what to do, what to wear, what not to wear, what to eat, what not to Like every decision has been made for them for four centuries. And all of a sudden now they're out on the other side and they have to figure this thing out on their own. So Moses is working from sunup to sundown trying to navigate this. Well, in Exodus chapter 18 is where we pick up the story. And in Exodus 18, Moses is paid a visit by an unlikely surprising individual. Let's begin reading in verse 5. It says this, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. So Moses is paid a visit by his father-in-law, Jethro. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them out of every one. So what's going on here? Moses is trying to impress his father-in-law. Come on, son-in-law, man. You know what I'm talking about, right? If there's anybody you want to impress, it's Daddy-O, right? And so that's what Moses is doing. He's like, and then this happened, and then this happened. But God was faithful, and then God delivers, and then the Red Sea, and then the Egyptians, and not in the river, but in the Red Sea. Remember that? Like, okay, so Moses. And so watch Jethro's response. So Jethro says, he's delighted. It works. Jethro's delighted to hear about all the good things that the Lord has done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. The next few verses go on to tell us that they basically partied the rest of the night, just celebrated and praised all that God had done in delivering Israel out of the hand of the Egyptians. So then the next morning, Moses goes to work. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you're doing for the people, Moses? Why do you alone sit as judge when all these people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered him, Well, apparently, Dad, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Apparently, whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. I decide between the parties, and inform them what God wants. Apparently, this is my job now. Apparently, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Now that we're free, now that we're on the other side, apparently, Dad, this is what I'm supposed to do. Look at what Jethro says. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. Moses, you're gonna burn out, man. The work's too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And then look what he says. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. So as Pastor Aaron mentioned, a year ago I released a book called The Key to Everything, and my publisher loved the title of the book. It's intriguing. It's kind of mysterious. What's it about? It draws you in. But what I didn't realize was, when I published it, was how kind of presumptuous maybe even arrogant the title could be right I wrote a book called key to everything so as soon as I started doing interviews for the book to promote it everyone everyone like the very first question out of everybody's mouth was okay hotshot, you wrote a book called the key to everything well what is it and the answer is teachability teachability the willingness to be teachable think about it isn't it true Then whatever area of our life we desire to be successful in, from our marriage to our career to our parenting to our spiritual life, being willing to be teachable really is the key to everything. I've often said in leadership training for years, give me someone who's teachable and we can change the world. Give me someone who knows it all, we're dead in the water. Teachability really does matter. Well, guess what? When Moses' father-in-law Jethro pulls him aside and says, hey, I want to give you some advice, this is Moses' teachability crossroads moment, isn't it? Like, this is the moment. Is he going to cross his arms, put up a wall, or is he going to be open to hearing the advice of his father-in-law? This is his crossroad moment. And I want to point out to you five things that Moses had to pay attention to in this crossroad moment, because I believe they're the same five things that you and I need to pay attention to when we come encounter with our crossroad moments as well. When you came into the service tonight, as Pastor Aaron mentioned, you were handed a bulletin. Grab that. Inside of there's a slip of paper with some fill in the blanks. I would love for you to write down these five things, these five roadblocks, if you will, that we need to pay attention to in the crossroad seasons of our life. The first one was pride. Moses had to come face to face with his pride. Like, think about it. Put yourself in Moses' shoes. You are the leader of God's people. And Moses wasn't elected by popular vote or by electoral vote. No, no, no. Moses was appointed by God to be the leader of God's people. And all of a sudden, this sheep herder from the backside of nowhere, like, no, actually from just west of nowhere, shows up uninvited, unannounced, and wants to give him some advice. Okay, this would be like the equivalent of the CEO of Walmart, like the multi-billion dollars multinational conglomerate that is Walmart. Like the CEO of Walmart hosting a Q&A and some little farmer's market manager on the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month at the local park from 3 to 5 p.m. Stands up in the back and says, excuse me, Mr. CEO, appreciate all you and Walmart have done, but I'd like to give you a little bit of advice because I don't think you're doing it very well. Like imagine being the CEO of Walmart. You'd be like, ha, <laughs> ha, sit down. Right? Like, are you serious? You run a farmer's market two afternoons a month. I run Walmart. That's Moses. Chosen by God to lead God's people. And his father-in-law, some sheep herder named Jethro, shows up and is like, I don't think you're doing this right, sonny. Pride. Pride. Well, let's make it personal for a second, can we? When was the last time pride raised its ugly head in your and my life? Come on, husbands. When your wife says to you on the road trip, are you sure you don't want to pull out the GPS app just to confirm that we're not lost, sweetheart? Pride. Or when that new young 24-year-old MBA grad from that prestigious school joins your sales force? The one at your place of employment where you've been for 17 years and he overhears a phone call, right? And he comes into your cubicle and goes, hey, couldn't help but overhear the uh, last little sales call you were making there. Hey, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to give you some advice on how to make your clothes better. And you look at this little young hot shot punk and you go, wait, you're gonna give me advice? Sure, go ahead. And you're like a toddler who's being disciplined, right? You may be sitting down on the outside, but you're standing up on the inside. (laughs) It's pride. It's pride. Pride always seems to rear its ugly head, doesn't it? In crossroad moments of our life. Here's the second roadblock that Moses had to overcome, and that's fear. The roadblock of fear. See, Moses is the leader of a new nation. This is an unproven model, and so he has no leadership uh, background to be able to say what's going to work and what's not. He, he it's not like he's got all this experience and all these books that he's read. This is an unproven deal. So when Jethro shows up and pushes on Moses and is like, hey, man, I think we need to make some changes for the next season of where you're going, Moses probably had all this fear come flying up. Like, I don't know. It, is he right? Do I do this? Do I not right? Fear is always present, isn't it, in those crossroad moments of our life. Fear comes flying up in his face, just like fear comes flying up in a lot of our faces as well, doesn't it? Over the last couple of years, I've done a lot of study on what the Bible has to say about this idea of fear. And the truth is, the Bible actually has a lot to say about fear and its power in our life, especially in decision-making, crossroad type of moments. The Apostle Paul in the book of 2 Timothy is writing to his young protege, Timothy, who is a pastor, and he's a pastor of a church in Ephesus. And theologians, smart guys who study this kind of thing, tell us that Timothy was at best in his early 20s, most probably a late teen, who was a pastor, appointed to be a pastor of a move of God church in Ephesus that many theologians believe had between thirty and 50,000 people in attendance. What? And Paul writes to Timothy, obviously to encourage him, and in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Look what he writes to him. He says, Timothy, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse 7, for God has not given us, look at this, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul's writing to Timothy saying, listen, man, I know it's, it's scary sometimes. I know that it's fearful to be in that kind of position sometimes. But I'm challenging you, stir up the gift of God and don't let a spirit of fear control you. God's not given you a spirit of fear. Now, here's the deal. When you study that word spirit in the original language, which is Greek, that word spirit doesn't mean like, like middle school cheerleader, like we got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? Like rah, rah, spirit. Like it's not that kind of spirit. It literally is the word "numa," numa, which basically means a being or a force, like an actual evil spirit, okay? And the word fear, another translation is the word timidity, which has the root word timid in it. So an accurate translation of this verse could literally be God has not given us an evil spirit of intimidation. An evil spirit that can come on us and influence us. And I believe it's possible that there are some of us who are listening to me tonight and you know exactly what I'm talking about. That there is a spirit of fear, a spirit of intimidation that has been placed on your life. Someone somewhere in your past put a spirit of fear, a spirit of intimidation on you. Maybe you know who it is, maybe you understand you remember the circumstances, maybe not. But either way, you know that fear always hits you. The minute you go to step out, and make a decision, the minute you go to move forward in some area of your life, fear grips your heart. Intimidation grips your heart. Maybe it's, it's from a coworker. maybe it's from a board member. In your, in your place of employment, in your business that you own or you operate or in your department. Maybe it's an employee who always pulls you in after you have a great meeting. He backs you into your office and shuts the door behind you and pushes you in the corner and says, Hey, listen, you know that if you make this decision and if it, if it goes wrong, it's your head on the chopping block. You know how many people are going to lose their pensions if you don't get this right. Spirit of intimidation. For some of you, it's a grown child, a son or daughter who's now an adult, and they are using intimidation to hold you captive. See, a spirit of fear and intimidation will always always constrict around us. And at the point of decision, the moment of the crossroad, when we go to step out, fear will grip our heart. Here's what I want us to see. These two verses are linked. They're not separate. Wherever there's a spirit of fear on our life, the gift of God goes dormant in our life. If you have gifts and abilities that God has placed on your life that have somehow sort of dwindled over time, and you've become more and more timid with those gifts, I could almost guarantee you that's a spirit, a pneuma of fear. Now, here's the good news. This is not of God. And that means greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, and the spirit of fear can be broken off of you. And tonight, in about 18 minutes, we're going to pray. And some of you, God's going to break the spirit of fear and intimidation off of your life tonight, once and for all. Boom. You're going to leave different than you came. Amen. going to happen. Paul had to come face to face with a spirit of fear. Here's the third roadblock that Paul had to overcome, and that was the roadblock of insecurity. The roadblock of insecurity. The roadblock of insecurity. Remember, when it comes to confrontations, when you study Moses' life, Moses didn't exactly have a great track record with confrontation. And so, like the first time he was in a confrontation, it was with an Egyptian soldier who was bullying one of his Hebrew brothers. And Moses ended up killing him and going on the run for like, you know, 40 years. Well, that didn't end well. And the second confrontation was when he was with a Pharaoh. And we all know how that ended with Moses and hundreds of thousands of his closest friends who ended up, you know, in the Red Sea. And, well, and you know, cross, that didn't end well. And so here he is in the middle of this moment where Jethro looks at him and says, hey, listen, man, you need to rethink how you're doing all this. And insecurity comes flying up in his life. Matter of fact, look what Jethro tells him. Jethro says, hey, here's what you need to do. Instead of being the man, you need to find some people and empower them. Look, verses 21 and 22 tell us what Jethro's advice to Moses. Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who have hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring obviously every difficult case to you. So Jethro's advice to Moses is, hey, you need to find some people, honest men who love God, who hate dishonest gain, and based on their talents, their anointing, their capabilities, their giftings, empower some to be over thousands, some over hundreds, some over fifties, some over tens, and then let them do the work and then any difficult case, then let that one come up to you. Otherwise, you're going to wear yourself out. But here's the deal. Moses is the man. No, really, like when you're chosen by God, confront Pharaoh, ten plagues, part the Red Sea, lead hundreds of thousands of people out, and establish a new, na- a new nation, you pretty much get a table at any restaurant any time ever for life. You are the Philip Rivers of Israel. Maybe not. Moses was the man. Well, if Moses takes Jethro's advice, he's no longer going to be the man. All of these men are going to be the men. Insecurity. When was the last time insecurity gripped your heart in a crossroad moment? Maybe for some of us it was today. When you logged on Facebook or Instagram and saw some other family and they had their cute little picture-perfect life. And they were doing crafts off of Pinterest and being awesome and having their little beach day. And all the sandwiches were perfectly made. And moms, you looked at those pictures on the internet and you went, I must stink as a mom. Insecurity. Insecurity always raises its ugly head in these crossroads. Moments. That's what happened to Moses. Number four, Moses had to overcome the roadblock of pain. He had to overcome the roadblock of pain. Remember, this is a big deal. Like if, like if Moses takes Jethro's advice, he this is going to completely upend the org chart. And again, remember, he doesn't have a good track record. And so all of a sudden, when Jethro gets in his face and says, I think you need to change this, the way you've been doing it isn't going to work in the next season for you, Moses, or for this people. You're not going to reach your full God-given potential. In this moment, I would imagine all of the pain that was undealt with from Moses' past came flying up in his face. Does Jethro not believe in me? Does he not think I can do this? Does he, Are there other people? Does my wife not think I can do this? Are the, do the elders not think? Like, like just, am I even suited for this at all? And everything that was undealt with in terms of pain from his past came flying up in the crossroad moment. And here's the deal. Come on, you got to hear this, Coastline. Every single time we get to a crossroad moment, pain that we have not dealt with from our past will come flying up in our face. Every time. I'm just telling you, every single time. And see, the truth of the matter is, in life, offenses come, don't they? Painful experiences, people hurt us, people wound us. It's impossible to be sinful people living in a sinful world and not have pain and hurt happen to us. And some of you, even as I'm saying that right now, you're picturing someone's face in your mind's eye. Maybe an ex-spouse, maybe a business partner who promised they'd be with you and ran off with two-thirds of the client base and revenue streams. And right now, you're thinking of that person who has wounded you, who has hurt you. Offense will come. You know what Jesus says about this? In Luke chapter 17, verse 1, he's talking to his disciples, and he looks at them, and he says, hey... Offenses will certainly come. That's a promise of Jesus. As Christians, we love to celebrate the promises of God, don't we? Like, woo! This is one we never love to celebrate. Like, nobody writes a worship song about this promise. <laughs> offenses will surely come. People will stab us in the back. Hallelujah. Nobody, Right, there's no worship songs to say that. There just aren't, right? But it doesn't mean it's no less of a promise. Offenses will certainly come. Jesus says, listen, in this life you will have trouble. Offenses will certainly come. But look what he says, but woe to the one they come through. That word woe, when you study the word woe in Scripture, every single time it's ever used in Scripture, it always has a violent, military-like connotation to it. So here's what Jesus is inferring in the verse. Hey, listen, in life, offense is going to happen to you. Your responsibility is to deal with the offense at a heart level. My responsibility is to do the woeing. But as human beings, we want to do the woeing, don't we? Like we want to exact revenge, we want them to pay, we want someone to know what a jerk they were to us. Jesus says, No, 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 you got it backwards. You deal with the offense in your heart. Leave the woeing to me. That's why Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flows the wellspring of life. Our life flows from our heart. And yet, here's what I believe I believe that tonight there are some of you who are listening to me right now, and you have let offense get in your heart, and you are gripping it so tight. Here, let me, let me see. So, so, this is Dan. He's one of our pastors at our church. He's traveling with me. So, this is a garden hose. It's not actual size. Some of you are like, that's the smallest garden hose I've ever seen. Right. It, it's not actual size, but it does travel well. And so, um, I take it with me. So, what's the purpose of a garden hose? Well, the purpose of a garden hose is to you know, tap into the spigot, right, where the water comes out, and then be a conduit for the water so that you can go and take it across the yard, right, and water your plants or your bushes or your flowers, whatever, right? Well, this is a picture of our life. God's desire for us is to plug into the spout, the spigot where, of the Holy Spirit, and let the water of the Spirit flow through our life so that we can be a light in a dark world, right? So that the water of the Spirit can, can be function through our life. That's the purpose. But remember like when you were a kid, and you'd be outside playing. I grew up in Indiana, and so we'd be outside in the summer. You know, we come in the house. We're all sweaty and dirty and thirsty, and mom would be like, no, get out of here. You're sweaty and gross. Go, you know, so what would we do? We'd go out to the garden hose. We'd turn it on, and then you'd kink the hose, right, to slow down the flow of the water so that you could get a drink. But then obviously the pressure would build up, and you'd be like, Psh, you'd spray your buddies, and the next thing you know, you're in a water fight, right? Some of us remember that. But see, here's the thing. The reason you kink the hose is to slow the flow down. And when you and I have offense in our heart that we have not dealt with and given to the Lord and released, it's like kinking the hose. And all of a sudden we've got a coworker, and then we've got a boss, and then we've got an ex, and then we've got a person from our past, and the boyfriend in high school, and All of a sudden, we can't figure out why the water of the Spirit's not coming out of our life. And see, when there's no water, there's no fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And when the water of the Spirit is clogged and can't come out and flow in our life, the fruit dries up no matter how hard we try. And the Apostle Paul says, when there's no fruit, that the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, those don't have to grow, they just appear when there's no fruit. And I believe it's possible, some of you are listening to me tonight, and and you, you can't, you want more of God. You want you to increase in influence and impact, and you want your life to go to a new level, but you can't, you feel like you've hit a wall, you can't figure out why. Is it possible that this is what your heart looks like? And you can't figure out why the fruit of the Spirit's not growing and why there's not more effectiveness in ministry and in life. It's because you have offense that you've not dealt with. And what if tonight it's time to unkink the hose? What if tonight it's time to turn over those offenses to Jesus? Yeah, but Matt, you don't understand. You don't understand what he did to me. You don't understand the pain she caused me. I don't, but here's what I do know. I know that the promises of God are true. And Jesus said, hey, it's your job to guard your heart, to deal with the offense in your heart and leave the woeing to me. So there's pain. Pain is inevitable. What we do with it is up to us. Maybe tonight it's time to unkink the hose. The fifth roadblock that Moses had to face and deal with in his crossroad moment was the roadblock of pace, an unhealthy or unsustainable pace. So Jethro pulls him aside in verses 19 and 20, essentially tells Moses his new job description going forward. Look, he says, Moses, here's what you need to be doing. The best thing you can do in the next season is to be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him and then teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. So in other words, Jethro says, hey, Moses, your new job description, the thing that only you can do in the next season of your life and leadership journey is be God's representative to the people and the people's representative to God. Empower everything else, delegate everything else. Only you can do this. This is your best. This is your sweet spot in the next season, Moses. In other words, Moses, you're going to have to examine your pace. You're going to have to examine your calendar. Because there are a lot of good things you've been doing that in the next season, you don't need to do anymore. You need to take some time away from those so you can do what only you can do best. And I believe it's possible that some of us who are listening tonight need to take a good hard look at our pace, our schedule, our calendar. I believe it's possible God brought me here for some of you as a warning shot because you've got good things galore. Good opportunities, growth opportunities. Matt, you don't understand with the market the way it is and the opportunities. If I don't seize this, No, 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 I get it. I know, I know. Some of you, you are so busy, you wear it as a badge. How you doing? Good, man, just busy, just really busy. And you don't even realize that you say it as much as you do. If you had to play the lifeboat game with your calendar and cut 25%, you know what the lifeboat game is? You sit around the campfire with four of your friends and you go, okay, if only three of us could live or the lifeboat sinks, who gets thrown overboard? Okay, horrible game to play with your friends. (laughs) Trust me. (laughs) Great game to play with your calendar. If you went to the doctor today and the doctor said, you will die if you don't cut 25% of your commitments in the next six months, what gets cut? Well, nothing, nothing, brother. There's not it's all urgent, it's all important, it's all essential. Well, what if I asked your spouse? What if I asked your kids? And here's the true true, truth teller. What if I handed your calendar to your mother-in-law? She would tell us the truth. She'd tell us what truly is essential and what could be cut from your calendar. You know why? Because she actually cares. Some of you, you've been neglecting your health. You've been neglecting your body. And my question to you is, how long? Is it possible that the good stuff you're holding on to in the name of opportunity is actually gonna compromise God's best for you in the next season, this is your crossroad moment. This is a moment in time where you and I get to make a decision today that says, I'm gonna start to navigate my priorities, my pace, my calendar differently so that I can reach my full potential in the next season. So here's Moses at this crossroad moment. What's he going to choose? Jethro says, hey, let me give you some advice in this crossroad because where you're going needs to look different than where you've been or you're not going to live up to your full potential. And verse 24 tells us the decision Moses made. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He did it. He embraced teachability, the key to everything. He leaned in. And he said, okay, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to let my guard down. I'm willing to make changes concerning pride and fear and insecurity and pain and pace in my life. I'm willing to deal with those things in the crossroad so that it will set me up for success in the next season. And do you know what happened next? Just two chapters later, Exodus chapter 20. Some of you who are familiar with Bible study, you know what Exodus 20 is. God calls Moses up on Mount Sinai and gives him what? Ten Commandments. Let me play a little counterfactual history for a second. Is it possible that Moses and the children of Israel in the Old Testament and the world don't get the Ten Commandments if Moses doesn't choose teachability in this crossroads? Moses' destiny, the thing arguably Moses is known best for the world over, Ten Commandments perhaps never happens if Moses doesn't pay attention in the crossroad. So here's my question to you tonight. What do you need to pay attention to? Some of you, it's pride. Pride is a spirit as well, by the way. It's possible that some of us think we're pretty awesome. Some of us think we're pretty high and mighty. Some of us think we got this whole dial, the thing dialed in. Proverbs says that pride comes before fall. Watch your pride. Go easy, go easy. In the words of Toby Keith, the country singer, the great theologian and country singer, I ain't as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. That has nothing to do with anything right now. But if you say it in this tone of voice with that keyboard playing, it kind of sounds Spiritual. sorry (laughs) come back Holy Spirit (laughs) some of you it's fear it's a spirit of fear intimidation and it has held it's constricted around you and God wants to break that off of you tonight some of you it's insecurity God wants to help you some of you it's pain from your past it's time to unkink the hose it's time to lay down those offenses and leave the woe into Jesus And some of you it's your pace You need to have a good, healthy conversation with your spouse this week or your kids. You need to apologize, go on an apology tour. You need to walk into your office tomorrow morning, look at your staff and say, I'm sorry for the unrealistic pace and pressure I've been putting on you. You need to repent. What do you need to pay attention to in your crossroad tonight? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this great church called Coastline Church that you have positioned in Carlsbad, California for such a time as this. God, thank you for Pastor Aaron and Amanda. Lord, this great couple that is leading the charge. God, being a light in darkness and leading hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people into freedom and into their destiny. And Jesus, I pray for each one of us who are listening tonight that our hearts have been prodded, our hearts have been opened and prompted by you, Holy Spirit. And we get out of the way and we say, Lord, have your way. Jesus, some of us are dealing with pride. And we need to lay it down and humble ourselves right now. Some of us, it is is a spirit of fear. And I break that off of us in Jesus' name. Some of us have come in with a spirit of intimidation that's been put on us. And I pray that you would break the back of that spirit right now, Jesus. We take authority over it. It must flee. Darkness must flee when the light comes, the Bible says. And I pray that we're going to leave different than we came. Some of us, it's a spirit of insecurity we need to start standing on who God has called us to be and stop comparing ourselves to other people and what God's called them to be. Some of us, we need to unkink those. We need to forgive. And in right now, in the stillness of this moment, Lord, we just forgive the pain of the past, the offense that you promised would come. Lord, it hurts and it's hard. But Jesus, we don't want to hold on to it. God, holding on to a fence is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. We don't want to live like that anymore, Jesus. Set us free tonight. We'll leave the woeing to you. And Lord, some of us, this has been a warning shot across the bow of our ship. Our pace is out of control. It's unsustainable. It's unhealthy. And we're never going to get the Ten Commandments. We're never going to tap into the piece of our destiny that's available to us in the next season, in the next two chapters, when we're chasing after the good instead of focusing on the best. So, Lord, I pray you would set us free tonight. that We might be different because of this crossroad moment as we embrace teachability. It truly is the key to everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said,
0: Would you thank Pastor Matt for his time with us? So good. You know, he told me uh, coming in that God had given him a word for our church, a right now word. And I really believe this message this weekend was prophetic for many people because, as he said, there's a defining moment for you right around the corner. Just like Moses and the Ten Commandments. But if Moses didn't change his life, if he didn't listen to his father-in-law, he would have missed it. Think about it. Moses would have still been hearing the cases of the people from morning to evening, wearing himself out. He would have never heard God's voice to come up onto the mountain. He would have never been in position to receive the defining moment of his life. There's a defining moment for you right around the corner. And there's some things that are blocking you from being in position. So I pray that you would take this test and and kind of great. I was at lunch with some people today and we were kind of like, you know, I'm four out of five. I'm five out of five, you know. But I think all of us have a combination of these, if not all five, that we've got to deal with and work through. And so I would encourage you to take the next steps. And, And this whole church is built on next steps. Let me make it absolutely clear. One message, one night, one time a year is not going to change your life. The message tonight was designed to be a catalyst for you. A catalyst for you to take some next steps to figure out how to work through this process. Church doesn't happen on Sunday night. Church happens throughout the week in community and healthy relationships. That's why our church is built on small groups. Those five things, we work those through in small groups. That's, that's how we deal with those things. You know, as pastors, we don't have a magic wand that we can wave over your head and all your issues go away. Your insecurities disappear. The pain just vanishes. It doesn't work like that. We design messages that would be catalysts for you to take a next step to change your life, to get in healthy community, to get around godly men and women that will befriend you. And help you take these steps, and we see it every week. I'm getting report after report after report of our life small groups this semester, and how these five things people are working through all of them right now, in, in powerful ways. It's incredible. And so I would encourage you to find your next step. Uh, and one of the ways you can do that is after service tonight. Many of our pastors and, and leaders of our church have white lanyards on. Go up to one of them and ask him a question. You know, tell him, "Can you pray for me tonight?" Or I need some advice. Or can I ask you a question? And they would love to help you figure out what the next step. They'll listen to you and they'll help give you, okay, here's a great next step for you. Here's a great next step for you to to begin the journey that you're on tonight. For some of you, that next step may be surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Find somebody wearing a white lanyard. They'll help you. They they, they would love to lead you in a very simple prayer of giving your life to Jesus Christ tonight. Be one of the best steps you can take so I want to encourage you find your next step don't, don't leave inspired and let it fizzle out be inspired to find your next step and then walk it out so that this wasn't just 35 minutes of your life you know that felt good for a moment but there's no lasting fruit there's no lasting impact find the next step walk this out because this was a very prophetic and defining message for our church but it's going to work for those that find the next step. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I just pray blessing over everyone here tonight. Lord, that we would take an honest assessment of our heart and life in those five areas and allow you to speak to us, God. Allow you to guide us. Allow us to take the next steps to truly be free so that The junk of yesterday doesn't become a roadblock for us stepping into our destiny, into our defining moment, into that that thing that's right around the corner. Because it's time. It's time. And there's somebody here right now, God. I just feel it so strong in my spirit. There's somebody here tonight who is so close to the breakthrough. They're so close. It's literally around the corner in their life. but they've got to get through the roadblock. One of these things is the roadblock in their life, and they're either going to miss the exit ramp to their destiny, or they're going to take the next step and see it happen. Speak to them right now. They know who they are. Speak to them right now and give them the courage to take the next step. In the name of Jesus, amen.